You know, um, doubt is a powerful thing. And one of the things that's happening with COVID right now is that it's planted this seed of doubt in all of us where every little symptom causes us to be concerned, right? So things that would normally not be a significant cause for concern, like a little cough or a a runny nose, now all of a sudden, I don't know about you, maybe this is just me, I I start to get nervous. I start to think, oh no, is this the Rona? Like, did it get me? Like, is this, is this my time to go through this? And uh, it, it plays tricks on you. You know, last Monday or two Mondays ago, I had a very low risk level exposure to somebody who tested positive in our church who's doing well, thank God. And, uh, but it made me so anxious that the rest of the week, every little catch in my throat, I was like, oh no. And doubt has that sort of power to make us question things. And, and this morning, I, I want to talk a little bit about doubt. And I, I think that there are there are people who are not Christians who have a lot of doubt about the Christian faith. And if I'm honest, there's fair reasons to have doubt. There are fair, uh, thoughtful objections and concerns. And if you're here this morning and you say, that's me, I'm here, but really I doubt everything that you guys are about or I have a lot of questions, all I would say is, I'm glad you're here. And I think this is a great place to bring your doubts. And as a church, one of our values is that people can belong before they believe. And so there's a place for you to belong wherever you're at with your doubts. But this morning, the audience that I'm really kind of targeting or that the scripture passage that we're going to look at is really a targeting is the audience of people who would say, I'm a Christian, but I have a lot of doubts at times about how much of a Christian I am. Do I really belong to God? Am I really saved? Am I really his? And I think if we're honest, we're all say at times we struggle with that. And that sort of doubt has tremendous power over our lives. And so we're going to look at this passage that the Apostle Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a bunch of churches who were filled with a bunch of people who had some of the same doubts. And we're looking in Galatians chapter 4, and right off the bat, Paul starts with an illustration. And so I want to read the illustration, and then I want to explain it. Verse 1, it says, he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave though he is the owner of everything. So he's describing a son who has an inheritance coming to him, but as long as he is a child, even though he owns everything, his status is no different than a slave. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now let me explain. Back in this time, the Romans had a very specific way in which people would come to age. And what Paul is describing is a very specific scenario. This is a young boy whose dad has died. And this young boy is the rightful heir. He will receive the full inheritance from the father, but not yet, because he's too young. Until a boy was 14 in Roman Roman times, he would have been under the care of guardians. And even until the age of 25, he was not fully an adult. And so at the age of 25, the son would receive everything that had always already been his, but up until that date, he didn't actually receive it. And what Paul is doing here is he's saying there's a very significant change that happened for this person, and this changes two things. Number one, it's legal, and it's life-changing. So keep those two things in your mind. This change is legal, and it's life-changing. And then Paul goes on to say, here's what this illustration has to do with you. In the same way, we also, when we were children, he's keeping the illustration going, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He's saying, before Jesus, this is how we were. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, 
Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, or if you're a woman here, daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is the Greek word for daddy, daddy, father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir through God. And here's the doubt that I think many Christians struggle with. It's that they don't believe that they're a son or a daughter of God, and they still live as if they are a slave. Not free, but enslaved. And we look at this passage, we're going to see two things. Number one, we're going to see what Jesus, the Son, has done about our doubts. And number two, we're going to see what the Spirit, the Spirit of God, or we call him the Holy Spirit, has done about our doubts. And first thing I want us to see is that the Son secures the, the, son secures the fact of our adoption. Yesterday was National Adoption Day. I don't know if you knew that or not. I didn't know when I was prepping this message all week. Yesterday, I, went on, I was on my social media account, or on my Instagram account, and I, I saw a friend, actually, um, my youngest daughter is an honorary team member of the Syracuse women's lacrosse team. And one of her teammates, Emily, who's one of the best women's lacrosse players in the entire country, posted because she was adopted uh, as a child. And she posted all about her adoption and what it meant to her. And it was beautifully written. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Because we're talking about this idea of spiritual adoption tomorrow. But she specifically cited the moment that she went into the courthouse with her dad, who had, her, her stepdad who had married her mom, but her stepdad was going to adopt her and her siblings as his own. And she talked about how significant that moment was. Now, listen, I have friends that have adopted children. I think adoption is a beautiful thing. And I think all, all of us should pray, God, is that something you would have me to do? And John Piper says that adoption is the gospel made visible, that in one moment, someone who's outside of the family is brought into the family. And adoption is a legal thing, isn't it, when it's done in a courthouse? And the moment that a child is adopted and the judge signs off and says it's official, then the status and the standing of that child is forever changed. Legally, they're in. It's a fact. And Jesus did what he did to bring us into the family of God to make our adoption secure, the fact of our adoption. Now, what do we know about what Jesus did? Let's look back at this verse real quick. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, and what that means is that God sent Jesus at just the perfect time. I don't know, we don't know why it was just the perfect time. We don't have all the answers, but we do know this. About 300 years before Jesus was born, the Romans built a road called the Appian Way. And the Appian Way became a precursor for an incredible structure of roads that the Romans built. So by the time Jesus was living and preaching and teaching, and then his apostles after him were traveling and preaching, there was an infrastructure for travel that hadn't previously exist, existed. In fact, there was a saying that said, all roads lead to Rome. So Jesus came at just the right time so that the message of the gospel could be spread easily throughout the known world. It also was a time in history where Greek was so broadly spoken and understood that people could travel to other nations and go to other lands and still have regular interaction and communication with each other. Also, this was a sort of unusual time in history where there was so much peace. There was very little war at this time, which allowed people to travel safely and freely. Maybe those are some of the reasons why Jesus was sent then. 
But for whatever it was, it was at the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. It wasn't Jesus doing his own thing. It was the father sending the son who was born of a woman, born of Mary, which means Jesus had the full human experience that we have, born under the law, which means the law of God was required of him just like it is required of us, to redeem those who were under the law, which is you and I, under the curse of the law, that we're supposed to live righteous and holy before God, but we couldn't do it. Jesus did it in our place to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. So what, is this, what does this all mean? It means that the gospel is the good news, listen, that Jesus did for you what you could never have done for yourself. That Christ came to do for sinners what sinners never could have done for themselves. We couldn't get ourselves into the family of God. Jesus, the Son of God, had to come to earth be cast out upon the cross, be cast out into our sin, be cast out into our shame so that we could be brought in and become sons and daughters of the Most High God. There is no other way. And, and that is the good news of the gospel, but the truth is, is it doesn't always sound like good news to people. And I've always wondered, why doesn't the gospel sound like good news? It's Jesus did this for you and you can never do it for yourself. Last week I was listening to a podcast, a conversation between um, a rabbi who's a rabbi of a big temple in Los Angeles, and a man who's an agnostic. Now, an agnostic is someone who um, believes that God could exist, but that you couldn't possibly know for sure, or you couldn't certainly have a personal relationship with God. And they were having this very interesting conversation about suffering. And as I was listening to them talk, the rabbi said something that I thought was so insightful. And he was talking about why people tend to blame themselves for their own suffering. Maybe you can relate to that. You blame yourself for the things that you've suffered in your life. And the rabbi said this. He says, oh, it's because people, for, for humans, it's easier to feel guilty than it is to feel helpless. We would rather feel guilty then help us. And he explained, because if you're guilty, then that means you can do something possibly to atone for your own guilt. You can work your way out. You can get yourself back into standing. You can pay the penance and be made right again. But if you're helpless, that's worse for humans, because that means you can't do anything. And so here's what the gospel does. The gospel takes away our guilt, but only after it brings us face to face with our helplessness. That Jesus did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And religion, and some of you have grown up in religion and you're familiar with it. Religion says this to you. If you'll just admit you're guilty, then, you're, then you can do away with your helplessness. Admit you're guilty, get to work, you're not helpless anymore. That's religion. The gospel says, admit you're helpless. That's your first step to not being guilty. And it's the inverse. Jesus secures for us the fact of our adoption. We have not done anything to bring ourselves into the family of God. Jesus did this for us. Adoption is a legal change in status, and it's the same for Christians. Now, two more thoughts, and then we'll get to our second point. The work of Jesus is objectively true, which means what he did for us, that's what a fact is. A fact is objectively true, whether we agree or not, whether we've experienced it or not. This past Friday, I had lunch with a friend, and I decided to order uh, lunch from a restaurant in Phoenix because a guy in our church is the chef there. It's called Dusky's 
sports bar, I think. And uh, I'd never eaten there before. I'd never even heard of it. But Chris Coe, whom some of you know, he's the chef there. And so I was like, all right, I, I'd seen his food on his Instagram. I was like, I got to try it. It's my pastoral responsibilities is to eat all the food of everybody in the church. And so I'm well on my way, by the way. Uh, and so um, I, I called ahead and I said, Chris, make me a burger, any kind of burger, medium rare, because that's the way God intended it to be eaten. But anything you want on it, I'll eat it. And so he put pickled onions on it, which is like somehow he read my diary. Like he knew like that's my love language. We have Tupperware container in our fridge at all times at home with red pickled red onions in them because I love them that much. And then he did crumbly blue cheese, which I also love. And I got that bird. Oh, I think I have a picture. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I didn't have this in the first service. This is special for you guys. Um, so there it is. Now, now you're all thinking about lunch. You're not even going to listen to the rest of my talk. Um, this burger, listen, this burger was delicious whether I ever took a bite of it or not. It was objectively delicious. Now, it was confirmed when I devoured it. But this thing was delicious whether I ate it. I'm telling you, 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 you didn't get this. You could get it, order it from Dusky today, but you didn't get this. And I'm telling you, this is delicious. And what Jesus did for us is true, whether we've experienced it or not. But what we're going to see in just a moment is that what the Holy Spirit does is different, okay? The Holy Spirit's work for us is, is subjective, which means we have to experience it. Here's what it means. You've got to bite the burger, right? So the burger is delicious. Jesus secured for us the fact of our adoption. But if you're going to have what the Spirit offers you, you got to bite the burger. What Jesus did for us started outside of us, but it's at work inside of us. So what does the Spirit do? The Spirit secures the experience of our adoption. Not just the fact, but the experience. You know, most of us live our lives with a gap between what we know to be true and how we actually live, right? Most of us experience that gap between what we believe to be factually true and what is functionally true in our lives. And one of the most obvious ways that this is true for many of us, or certainly for myself, is diet and exercise. Like factually, I know I need to eat less of those burgers and I need to be more active. It's, you don't have to argue that to me. I agree, factually. But functionally, doesn't always work out, especially this week. It doesn't always work out, does it? There is a gap between what I know to be true and what, how I live my life. And we all sort of struggle with this. And what the Spirit wants to do is close the gap for Christians, from the fact of your adoption to the experience of your adoption, to being the son and daughter of God, to living like you're a son and daughter of God. And you and I can't do that without the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, reminding us who we are. On January 1st, 1863, President Lincoln uh, passed the Emancipation Proclamation. Thank God that he did. Thank God for his leadership in that season of our country. And what the Emancipation Proclamation said was that all persons who are being currently held as slaves in the rebellious states are now free. And so according to the governing voice of our country, all slaves in our country were free as of that moment. But how long did it take for that to functionally actually happen? 
And so what would happen is, even if a slave was now a free man or a free woman, if he or she was walking down the streets and somebody came up and started to yell at them and treat them and talk to them like they were a slave again, they would begin to functionally pull back into that because they were so, that had been their reality for so long. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the fact about you is that Jesus has his own emancipation proclamation that he's spoken over you. That you're no longer a slave, that you're free. But sometimes people come along to you, come along and they talk talk to you and they treat you in a way or life treats you in a way or you treat yourself in a way and all of a sudden even though factually you know I'm a child of God as far as the way you live you live enslaved you don't live free and the Holy Spirit was sent to help us close that gap the Holy Spirit was sent to help us believe and receive that what, believe and receive what is already true about us in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done for us Let me say it again. The Holy Spirit helps us believe and receive what is already true of you in God's eyes because of what the Son has done for you. And this is what the Spirit does. Now, how does the Spirit do it? Well, the Spirit uses the Scriptures. Listen, we got to be a people of the Word. We have to be in the Scriptures, not to fulfill some sort of legalistic duty, but because we forget the truth of God's word, and we need to be reminded. I was talking with somebody this week who's been struggling a lot with worry and anxiety, and listen, that's all of us, I think, right now on some level. And what I did is I printed out for this person six verses that I thought these are the best verses I can think of about how to trust God and how good God is, and and I gave it to this person. I said, "Would would you do something for me? Would you memorize these six verses, one verse a week for the next six weeks? Memorize it, not just quickly, but memorize it so that you have it inside of you. And then the next time something comes up against you, instead of telling yourself this narrative, this truth, this half-truth, this lie, quote these things to yourself. It's not a magic trick, of course. There could be a struggle ongoing. I get it. But we do need to start speaking truth to our heart. And the Holy Spirit wants to take the Word of God and make it so alive in our hearts that when we come up against things that will cause us not to live as if we're sons and daughters of God, we will be reminded of what is true. The Spirit also gifts us with His presence, His voice, His promptings. He gives gifts through His people to His people through prayer. So when we pray, can I, can I give you one thing that maybe this week you can start praying for yourself every morning when you wake up, if you're a Christian? Holy Spirit, Remind me of who I am in Christ. Just wake up. Let that be your first prayer. Holy Spirit, everywhere I go today, everything I do, reassure me that I belong to the Father, that I'm not a slave, that I'm a son, that I'm a daughter of the Most High God, that I'm an heir to all that Christ has for me. We cry out. You know, uh, Paul talked about this crying out, Abba, Father. It's a child. It's an infant crying out, Daddy. Mommy, it's this instinctive cry. And every single one of us is crying out to something, hoping it will save us. But the cry of a slave is different than the cry of a child. Because the cry of the child knows that the father will listen, will hear. There's a warmth, there's a passion, but also there's a security in the way that we cry out to God. Now, I said earlier that the son's work is objective. It's true whether you experience it or not. But the spirit's work is subjective. We have to experience it. We have to have a sense on our heart. The Bible says you have to taste and see that the Lord is good. And if this is very foreign to you, then my encouragement to you is to simply say, pray this, pray this bold prayer. Holy Spirit, help me to sense it's real. Help me to sense that you're real and that what you're doing has the power to shape me and change me. The Spirit's work is subjective. You know, um, the Son makes this all true for us, but it's the Spirit who makes it real to us.
Does that make sense? The Son makes it true for us. What Jesus did makes it true whether we believe it or not. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes it real to us. And the truth is, is that most Christians who struggle, which is all of us really, the gap is between these two truths. We know it's true, but we don't live like it's real. And the Spirit wants to help us. Now, I'm going to ask Antonia to come up. We're going to close in a song. And uh, you're going to see someone go up on the stage in just a moment to turn the water baptismal tank on. I'm just telling you because otherwise you'll be very distracted by it. Um, and, and then we're going to have a very exciting celebration before we close. I just want to say one final thing. In John 14, 16, Jesus says to his, his disciples who are very fearful and anxious and worried because they know something's going wrong. He says, don't be afraid. I'm going to send you another advocate, another comforter. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he says, I'm going to send you another, what it means is that there's a first advocate. And what is an advocate? We were celebrating Josh and Leanne this morning. Josh is a lawyer. In a way, lawyers are advocates. They're supposed to speak up for other people, right? An advocate gives a voice to somebody who maybe doesn't have a voice or can't speak up. And so the Holy Spirit is sent as an advocate, but there was a first advocate. Who is the first advocate? Jesus. Jesus, as our first advocate, he speaks up. And what does he do? Listen, he speaks to the Father on your behalf. He stands before the Father. It says in the Scriptures that Jesus lives forever to make intercession for you. He stands before the Father and he says, she belongs to me. His sins are covered by my work. He's righteous because of what I've done. Jesus is speaking to the Father on your behalf. He's the first advocate. But the Holy Spirit, the second advocate, here's what he does. He speaks to you on your behalf. And what is his message? There's a first advocate. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying over and over. Look at Jesus. Look at what he's done. Believe it and receive it and let it change you. Listen, whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning, in all circumstances, Jesus lives. He reigns. He loves you. He has purposes and plans for you. And only the Spirit can make those truths actually real for you. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit so much. The Son makes it true for us, but the Spirit makes it real. This morning, we're going to just sing the chorus to this song. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Spirit, three in one. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to just pray a brave prayer. Maybe some of you, oh, let me go back. Maybe some of you, this is where you're at, and your prayer is simply going to be, if this is true, I want to know. I don't want to miss out. For some of you, you believe this, but your struggle is here. So as we sing this song, your prayer is, Holy Spirit, Make it real for me. Not just Sunday mornings. This is the easy place for it to feel real. But tomorrow morning, at school, at work, in your home, in your struggle, Holy Spirit, make it real. I believe he delights to do those things for us. It's his work. It's not ours. And we can receive it. Let's stand together this morning. We're going to just sing through the course of this.